Hello, you're on cue with Lakeshore Records. I'm your host, Aaron Valing of Valingo.com. My guest today is Chris Bowers, who created the phenomenal score for Bad Hair. It's a film directed by Justin Simeon, and it's uh, set in 1989, a horror satire. It follows an ambitious young woman played by Elle Lorraine who gets a weave in order to succeed in the image-obsessed world of music television. However, her flourishing career comes at a great cost when she realizes that her new hair may have a mind of its own. So it stars Lorraine, also Vanessa Williams, Lena Waithe, Laverne Cox, Jay Farrow, Kelly Rowland, Blair Underwood, James Vanderbeek, and Usher. It's a pretty epic cast uh, and just a fascinating film. And what Chris Bowers does, along with Kelly Rowland and with Justin Simeon, is they have this sort of uh, nice balance between these late 80s New Jack Swing songs and uh, you know Bauer's score. And his score is this, this just hyper-nuanced, electronic, jazz-infused, Penderecki kind of uh, experiment, and it works out very well. So today we're going to talk with him about that. And of course, make sure you go check out the score and the film, which are uh, available now. Uh, the score is available via Lakeshore Records. Uh, you can find it in the digital realm. And you can also find the film, Bad Hair, uh, on Hulu. So, you know, go get on that. But before you do that, let's listen to Chris and dive into his world. All right, we're on with Chris Bowers, uh, composer of Bad Hair. Uh, how are you doing today? Good, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm just I've got I'm filled with so much energy after listening to this soundtrack uh what you oh, and Justin Simeon <laughs> and Kelly Rowland have put together um it's this amazing balance um of this new jack swing which is you know some of the best music ever invented with yeah. your incredibly like, creative and experimental score it's a really it's an interesting balance i think um so yeah, let's dive into this new jack swing stuff so um yeah. This is some legitimate Teddy Riley sounding. I mean, it's like, so the film takes place in 1989 and the music sounds like it's straight out of 1989. And I'm curious, like how you three did this, because I was reading about how Justin not only uh, directed this, but also wrote some of these songs. If you could tell us yeah. a little bit about the backstory be behind these amazing songs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, basically, sorry, my dog is, uh, <laughs> feels like she's, uh, needs to play right now at this moment. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, basically, when Justin first approached me, it was funny because he, he's always talked about wanting to do some sort of musical, um, project. And he mentioned that he had been working on these songs. And, um, we met maybe like, um, we met, to, we got together maybe, a year or maybe even longer before he started shooting. And he showed me these demos of these songs that were pretty fleshed out that he had produced himself and he made the beats himself and he was singing himself. And a lot of them were songs that he wrote years ago. And he, he kind of said that he's been trying to find a way to um, essentially put these songs in something. And then he, um, uh, we, once he showed them to me, we talked about the best way to approach it. And I basically took those initial demos of his and did as much research as possible and, and dug into, you know, bought a bunch of old vintage synths from the eighties, a bunch of drum 
uh, samples and things like that. And then, um, and we actually had the chance to talk to Teddy Riley about his process, which was really eye-opening and incredibly helpful. And, um, and so then I just reproduced and reimagined those, those original ones that he had. And then we came up with a couple of, of other ones together. So what is what are some tips that Teddy gave you? Because I like I, I the reader well, the once the listeners hear this soundtrack, they're gonna they're gonna be like, oh, this is literally 1989. Like it's it's amazing. <laughs> it sounds like. So what are like some tips that he gave you on how to achieve the Teddy Riley sound? One of the biggest things that uh, I walked away from our conversation uh, with was he played most of or all of his parts um, all the way through. So every every sample, whether it's a tambourine part or a snare part or a hi-hat part, he played that, he programmed it live all the way through the whole song as if he were a player. And what that does is, although you might listen to it and it feels like the, the tambourine's playing the same exact part, if you listen through it to it throughout the whole song, it's actually slightly varying throughout oh. the whole thing because he's playing it live. And that gives this life to the song in a way that feels like a band is playing it, even though other than the guitarist, Adam Agati, who's incredible, it's playing on it. Everything else is all samples and it's all, you know, me essentially. And so I think that playing it live like that, the way that Teddy Riley approached it really helped it feel more like this band playing as opposed to just a bunch of samples and loops. And oh, that makes sense. Um, were you, did you listen to, to this, uh, to new Jack swing when you were growing up? Now I know that we're both, you know, on the younger side, younger 80s kids. But um, I remember, you know, listening to this stuff on the radio when it would come on. Yeah, same, same. I definitely was a huge uh, fan of most of the stuff. I mean, between, like, all the early Boys to Men stuff or oh, all yeah. the Janet and Michael Jackson, I, I mean, yeah, you know, that's another conversation. But I think the musically, I, I thought that all that stuff was such had such a huge impact on me as a kid. And... Right even the earlier 80s stuff I think I've heard because of my older cousins or my parents and my dad knows all that like guy and like Johnny Gill stuff incredibly oh, well yeah. and like yeah so like you said I, I feel like it's such a nostalgic thing I almost forgot until I really dove back into it for this film and every song I listened to I was like man I remember this and it just like <laughs> takes you right back to that time period <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you hear the rhythms and you hear that that like synth bass and it's just it's phenomenal stuff and it definitely it's a good reference to um like the you know like also flight time did a lot of this kind of music when you mentioned you mentioned mm -hmm. janet jackson um mm -hmm. you know. so that that so we have that element to to sort of help set the stage of the 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 story uh but then you have this this uh score that is 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 a little bit different and it's um i've heard people say it sounds like uh Pendrecki. I've, I, uh, it has also some sort of more modern ambient synth sounds and then some, um, you know, just this nuanced sort of like tension to it that is, is like very cinematic. And what, could you tell us a little bit about how you, you created this score for Bad Hair, the, the score cues? Yeah, definitely. Um, one, I think that again, with Justin being such an incredible director, he really pushed me to look at kind of like the 60s and 70s eras of horror film for the score inspiration and looking at like Rosemary's Baby or even uh, The Shining and, you know, the music from those films. And at the same time for me wanting to figure out how to make it feel 
uh, as 80s as possible without going full on 80s, you know, as right. far as like having the, I think with, with wanting that heavy of an orchestral sound from those other references that he had, I felt like the synths then needed to be more textural or more um, ambient, like you said, or kind of like provide these other elements that the orchestra is not providing instead of, of like a lot of 80s horror movies, the synths kind of started to like, almost like play exactly what the orchestra would play, but with sense, which was an interesting take. And so this was kind of a little different, but I feel like um, then from there, uh, especially with the synth stuff, it was a lot of um, improvising and kind of messing around to picture. Like I really had a lot of fun playing around with my, um, my tape echo for this and like running my Juno through my pedal board into this tape echo. And then a lot of the weird sounds that you hear throughout the thing are, uh, just the tape echo being really messed up. I think I actually might've broke it while I was working on this, but <laughs> like it already had this weird pop uh, because of the tape was a little messed up. And so right. I would basically run the tape echo by itself and catch that pop and then turn the feedback all the way up so that it was almost like, you know, um, uh, kind of like, you know, getting a little too, too crazy essentially, but capturing those kinds of sounds and then shaping it to the picture um, and it's yeah, a lot of fun to kind of mix that with the sound of like the shining and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's I definitely hear that in there. Um, um, was it was what sort of stood out about scoring this film for you? What was some of the like most memorable elements or something that really was meaningful about it? Um, I think one of the things that uh, was fun for me was thinking about the um, main theme for this. Uh, possessive demonic you know spirit the, the weave itself and um i was trying to figure out how to represent something that was you know slightly uh primitive sounding just because a lot of the folklore that justin created for this story and then at the same time having it feel um like it fits in this sonic world that we created for the score and all of that and so for that uh, theme, I kind of mess around with like um, my kalimba and like different percussive instruments that I've just collected from traveling and um, things that I felt matched that feeling. And then um, also layered on some um, of the synth sounds and things like that. And then the melody became this um, 12 tone row essentially. And like uh, to kind of represent this more, angular slightly like maybe a high art kind of approach to this thing or whatever but meshing all those things together i think came up with this this theme that i feel like is um i don't know one of the the themes i'm most proud of that i've I've worked on yeah it's a i've listened to it um probably i think 10 times since i got the the oh man (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) mildly obsessed uh, <laughs> that's awesome i really appreciate that but I, I also like that you bring um so you have a jazz background i mean you went yeah. to juilliard for jazz uh you have a yeah. bachelor's and a master's in jazz performance right from juilliard yep. yeah, yeah yeah um and so you have you you come from actually like you have that sort of element to it um and i know that you've noted in the past that you have uh, I think you you said you had influences like um, uh, Oscar Peterson and Duke mm-hmm. Ellington. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did you get into film scoring 
itself. Because there's another there's something else I kind of skipped over is you also have this part of your timeline in which you worked in sort of like R&B and pop and hip hop as well. So you've had this interesting trajectory sort of kind of gathering all of these influences and modalities together that you bring to the table when you score a film. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting how that, how that happens. I mean, it, you know, I think it's just kind of the same for every composer, but for myself, the, um, you know, it's been interesting to, well, I, I really felt from a very young age that I wanted to be a film composer and fell in love with, um, basically just the movie, the, just John Williams scores pretty much. I feel like being a kid of the nineties, like, you know, I've, you know, it, growing up watching all those Spielberg movies and feeling like so much nostalgia from these like huge orchestral uh, scores and all those things still have such a soft, uh, I still have such a soft spot for every one of those scores. And, um, and so because of that, I really decided early on that I wanted to find a way to get into it. And I think once I discovered people like Terrence Blanchard and realized that there were people that, um, you know, like went from being a musician to then scoring and then balancing a career as a performing artist and a composer. And then outside of that, especially as I got um, uh, into college, then you had Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross starting to score films and like, right. you know, Johnny Greenwood. And, and it made me more excited about this idea of, like you said, taking all this experience I had as a player and as a musician and trying to figure out a way to, to use the empathetic side of being a composer um, in this, in this aspect of, of film scoring. And, um, and it's been cool to find all these ways of like, just as you said, how, how things that I've done in the past somehow have like made me a little bit uh, more prepared to, to handle some of the demands of the projects I'm working on now. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, Terrence Blanchard, that's a, he is, um, he's just amazing. His, yeah. Um, it's just phenomenal. Um, his recent score uh, for The Five Bloods was, wow. Yeah, it incredible. blew my mind. Um, so for when you were working on Bad Hair, were there any sort of like super challenging segments uh, that you were scoring or any sort of like throw everything at the wall and that like, come on, I can't, I can't. Why won't this work? I can't get this, you know, this work or something like. Yeah, like I think, I think that um, that that main theme again was a, a difficult one. It took a little yeah. bit of time to to get at, and that was for the it, the first time I wrote it was for the section where she's getting the weave put into her head, uh, and then um, I, I think just kind of the that whole ending, you know, just once the first. Um, it's one of those types of films. I don't want to give away too much, but it's one of those kinds of things where you're on the edge of your seat for a decent amount of time. And then all hell breaks loose essentially. <laughs> and I think from that time, from that point on, the music is just at 10 from that point until the end of the movie and trying to find a way to keep that energy going in a way that doesn't feel like we're, you know, sick of hearing just like right. loud noises and screaming essentially and finding a way to, <laughs> to, go up and down, but that's also just following Justin and his incredible directing and, and how much, um, you know, that he really laid it out so that I, I just had to follow the path that was already set before me. I think it was just kind of a challenge for me musically to, to really do something that I felt could hold up to, to what I, what I wanted the score to, to do. Right. Right. And you've actually worked with Justin at least one other time, right? 
Yeah, we work on Dear White People together on the show. And uh, right. so this is our first feature together, but we've been on the show now for, we're starting our fourth season now. Yeah, yeah, it's a that's a great show, and the music's awesome, too. Um, yeah, it's fun. But uh, one thing I like to, I'm always curious about is when you have a, a director and a composer who sort of work together on multiple films. Did you mention John Williams and Spielberg? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Cliff Martinez and Nicholas Winding Refn, or Cliff when he mm-hmm. worked with Steven Soderbergh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Spike Lee and Blanchard. I mean, the, the list goes on, really, with with that sort of dynamic um, and like Lynch and Bad Lamenti. Uh What sort of, like, how does that differ for you when you have somebody who you sort of have already have worked with and have a rapport with? How does that impact your um, your your compositional process? Yeah, I think it's... Um there's a level of trust that gets developed um, yeah. and trust that we understand each other, you know, and understand each other's process and understand that, um, you know, I think that Justin knows by now um, that even if it's going to take me a long time to get him something that, that it's mainly because I'm, I'm trying to put my all into it. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and I appreciate the fact that uh, I think about with bad hair, how long, um, you know, I spent on some of these cues and how patient he was through all that. And then I think that he really could only be that patient because he, he knew he had that trust in me from three years of working together that, that, um, uh, yeah, he knew exactly what I, what I was, what was taking so long and why I was taking my time with it and different things like that. And, you know, and with it musically, I rarely get notes from Justin. Often he really will, um, maybe make some small notes if I've really missed the boat as far as um, what we needed emotionally, but otherwise yeah. he's, uh, he's incredibly trusting with, with my approach um, and accepting of it. And I think that my favorite collaborators kind of have that uh, mentality. Like I always think of thought about that whenever I was putting together a band for myself or for something else, you know, it's always like wanting to hire the greatest drummer the greatest bass player greatest whatever yeah. and let them do what they're going to do and i'm not going to tell you how to play drums if you just play drums the way you do and that's why why you're here because i like the way that you do it you know and yeah it's really great to work with a collaborator like that does that come from having a jazz background i feel like with jazz everybody kind of it just like speaks to each other through like this other level but everybody's still kind of independent I could be wrong, but. Well, man, I think that there's something really magical about that. I think that like, yeah. you know, it's difficult when ego gets involved and things like that. But the most amazing moments are when everybody in that space is egoless. Like Terrence's band is pretty incredible in that way. The way they play together, they, they've always yeah. played together. And But I think the best example of that for me personally was like Miles um, in the 60s with Herbie Hancock and Ron Carter and Tony Williams. And, and they are all just giving and receiving from each other in this way that is so organic and it creates these amazing things. And I feel like that's, um, it's like the most, the purest form of collaboration uh, when you can really do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, and you, you, you can feel the listener can feel that when, when everybody sort of has that, that symbiosis or whatever it is, there's, yeah, yeah, it has a, it has a strong resonance. Um, I, uh, one thing I think is interesting with horror films, um, I think of, of bad hair, you think of any horror film that's come out in many years. Um, 
you, you have this this uh, this opportunity. It feels like with genre films like horrors, you have an opportunity to, to like people have an opportunity to express themselves or kind of like go all out in ways that maybe you wouldn't be able to in another totally. like a like a tentpole or a drama or something like that. And I'm curious totally. if like working on this, you you were kind of able to kind of let loose and work on like. Yeah, like let loose and kind of do different things. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that like this, um, there's something very visceral about the way this score feels to me for that reason. Just because it, uh, it felt like, um, yeah, I'm just gonna go wild and like not even think about, like not restrain myself yeah. at all. Really, and I think that um, that's a pretty cool, like you said, freeing space to be in, and and doing that when you know that. Um, like there are definitely spots where I need to be more mindful and, and, and tasteful and all of that. But like, I think that having that wide of a dynamic range, you know, I think that um, a lot of the projects that I've worked on the dynamic range with the music is, is maybe a little bit uh, shallower, not in a negative way, but more so just that we're, we're not, there's no need to go that big. Right. Yeah. Content calls for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and when you have something that's, uh, I just think the horror genre calls for that level of, of really, really extreme highs and really, really extreme lows and playing with that. And, and that's part of what makes the genre fun. And um, yeah, so I definitely felt like I'd let loose with this one in a lot of ways. <laughs> so does your experience on this kind of, like, are you interested in scoring more horror films? Yeah, I definitely am. I think that for me, it's always primarily about the story and the intention above all else. Like, I think that my favorite horror films are like that, like The Shining or Mm -hmm. um, I think about, I forget the director's name, but the director that did Hereditary and Midsommar. um, Ari Aster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. like Like those types of horror films that really not only make you think, but also are trying to do something really unique with the music and the sound and how they approach it. I think I would love to do more of that. Um, you know, yeah, for sure. So when you, when you're looking at the bad hair project and you're looking at the, the dozens of cues you put into it and these amazing new Jack swing songs that people are going to be playing all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, like what do you want people to get out of this music and out of the film I, I, I just hope it starts conversation you know and I, I don't know if there's anything specific that I think anybody should get from it because I feel like it's such a uh, uh, a tough individualized experience like I think the black community and, and every black person male or female probably has plenty of stories about their hair and, and their experience with their hair and their experience with their hair in in this society and so i think that um it's really just about having a conversation about about that and um you know whatever comes of that is 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 uh interesting i think the conversation is is kind of the the most important thing to me 